Hello and welcome to the Me and My Golf podcast. We're your hosts and PGA golf coaches, Piers Ward and Andy Prabhu. Each week we're going to share with you our 20 plus years of coaching experience to bring you top tips, the latest information and trends, along with some of the world's best in the golf industry to help you play the best golf of your life. So what are we waiting for? Let's get to it and help you take charge of your game. This is episode 22 of the Me and My Golf podcast. And in today's podcast, we have a special guest. We have PGA golf coach and short game specialist, James Ridyard. Now, James has spent a lot of time over the last few years researching and studying the short game and spent some time with the best players in the world, finding out, measuring what they do, um, and also spent a lot of time with some amateurs as well to find out sort of diagnose their problems, some of the issues they're having with their short game. And he's got some interesting results that I think you'll be um, glad to listen to. And in this podcast, we really talk a little bit about how James has got to where he is coaching on tour, why he specialised in the short game, along with bringing you guys some very simple, useful things that you can take from this that maybe you've not thought about before that you can certainly apply to uh, to your short game. So I think you're going to enjoy this one. So without further ado, let's welcome James to the show. So James, thank you so much for joining us. I know that you were on a flight until late Wednesday night and, you know, one day recovery. And it's kind of a little bit of your current role with coaching now is that you're spending a lot of time on the road. But can you just give us a little bit of a brief history about your career, how you've got to this point, what you've done? And <laughs> brief was the, uh, <laughs> the yeah, key word. How, how brief can you make? <laughs> 15 years. 15 years, wow. Uh, maybe longer. Um, well, I was a PGA qualified in 2004, yeah. I think. Okay. <laughs> I'm never <laughs> exactly None of us, none so of us remember that anymore. Not your own. Um, when, when I played, I uh, moved to the US. Played over there for a while. Um, Realised I wasn't cashing big enough checks when I was cashing them. So I uh, quit after about a year out there. Came home, tail between the legs. Um, moved away from golf altogether briefly. Uh, missed out, wondered what I was doing, and um, started coaching full-time in 2007, I guess it would have been. Um, heavily into full swing at that period, so I spent two or three years uh, traveling the world, to be honest with you, going to shadow other people, mm-hmm. um, which is something not enough people do. It's, it's kind of a ballsy play to go out and, and spend £500 on a ticket to Houston Yeah, to go to the, the Shell Houston Open as it was then, and go and shadow a couple of people. Mm-hmm. Um, just out of nowhere, you know, staying in like a Super 8 motel. And that's a big investment when you do that over and over again. Um, but I don't think there's any better form of learning you could possibly have than to actually shadow people at the very top. 100% um, agree with that. Their game. Um, so I did that for a, a while. Obviously, as I said, heavily invested in full swing. Felt, and, and this, <laughs> this is kind of ironic, I felt that I had a really good handle on it by around 2010. <laughs> looking back now, 2018, and all the, the tech and the measurement we can do now, and you think, oh, I thought I had it then. <laughs> and, um, you think you have it now? <laughs> I, no. I think I, <laughs> Ooh, good answer. I, I think I'm somewhat closer to it and a lot, a lot more flexible in, in what I do um, than I was then. I thought, this, this is the way to swing it. Let's try and move everyone towards this. And then that just wasn't the truth. I mean, you only need to look at great golfers to realize everyone's different. Mm. Um, I think as your toolbox grows, you're able to help more and more people in a, a less and less invasive way. Yeah. 
Um, so am I closer? Yes. Am I there? No. Will I ever be? No, because there's no. just too many unknowns to, to sit there and say you are. Absolutely. And just tell us a little bit about how you, um, you're heavily into coaching short game with mm -hmm. a lot of your guys and um, yeah. you're renowned for the short game. Can you tell us, because um, an interesting story really of, of how you uh, move from the full swing to the short game. Can you share with the listeners how that happened? Do I have to? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, I'm thinking the story you're referring to <laughs> is uh, the one at Dunhill in yeah. 2010, I think it was. I've been working with a player. Um, primarily on full swing, for, but it was a young relationship, it was a couple of months and we'd finished a range session and went to the short game area and he just stood there, just looked me in the eye from two feet away and said, so what are your thoughts on short game? And in a split second I gave the response, but in my head it feels like it was ten minutes. Mm. But I was, oh my god, how am I going to help this guy? He's went on tour multiple times, I've watched him chip and he's amazing and I don't know what to tell him and my response was, yeah, I don't do short game. So two weeks later, he fired me because <laughs> um, it doesn't instill confidence in the player when you say, well, mm. I just don't do that. I don't know enough. Um, and obviously it was, it was a lie because I did teach short game. I just didn't teach it to players of his level. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was a, a very quick kick up the butt to go out and do something to research and learn. So have I, you spoken I, to him since? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's, 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 he's retired. <laughs> you retired him, good. I retired him. Um, so I tried to go through the same process with short games I did with uh, full swing, and at that point I just couldn't do it. I mean, at 2010, who did you go and see to learn about the short game? Mm -hmm. Who was out there doing it at a high enough level? Um, you count with one hand, you look at pelts. Um, no disrespect to Dave Peltz whatsoever because he's a very smart guy, but I'm not sure how much of what he does is really relevant to what I now know and now do. Mm -hmm. um, Utley was around a little bit. Uh, beyond that, Seatman wasn't uh, near where he is now at that point, so you could you go to two or three guys. Um, and I didn't. And then you start reading books and you're like, well, it's all books about what players from the 60s and 70s thought they did, mm. or the 50s, which they likely didn't. So my body of research really is, I would say, 90% my own work and my own study. And, and, when, and, and we spoke about this before, that there's been such a heavy investment in technology in the full swing, and the short game is now starting to catch up with that a little bit. Yep. And, and obviously people like yourself are very heavily invested in that because it's, it's massively important. And yeah. obviously we know how important the short game is, but because it's only a little chip, you know, <laughs> do we need to have a, you know, you know, 4D motion sensors and, you know... Yeah, it's just not a launch it's, 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 Of course it's, it's not, no. It's hidden, it's but it's more through, important. Yeah. <laughs> ultimately, <laughs> for me, it, yeah, it can and is often more important. Um, it, it, stats don't support that short game is as important as driving, but we all know the reality of it is that if you miss a green and you can get it up and down, your momentum mm. um, continues. And that becomes a big part of scoring, so it's, like, it's almost the intangible, the unmeasurable. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, from all the research, and the great thing is, you, like you said, it's all your own research with players, which is obviously the important thing, being out there with them. Are there any consistencies from the data that you've collected, from it, whether it be on the sensors or whether it be on Trapman or the, what, what your launch monitor that you use? Um, are there any consistencies that you re or trends that you're seeing that the great wedge players and the great guys who've got short game, what are, what are, yeah, they, what are they doing? I mean, What's the data can, say? There's, there's, there are trends and consistencies 
in all of it from how the ball launches, yeah. how it spins, how it lands through to how players sequence, yeah. you know, how they move their bodies. So there are trends from, from everything to measure. I mean, my, my um, procedure going through the research was to start with the ball. Yeah. Um, and there's certainly a window that players are launching the ball in with their wedges that's um, indisputable. Yeah. Um, so between like 28 and 31, 32 degrees. So it's a launch angle that they're generally launching it between. The, yes, yeah, from... On what shot is this? On what maybe from 30, 20, 25, 30 up to 80. Yeah, okay. So you get above that and it pulls down a little bit lower mm -hmm. and getting a little bit closer than that and it can be a touch higher. Okay. But typically that window carries right through probably a range of 60 odd yards. Um, and then, then club delivery is always going to be fairly similar to produce those numbers. There's, there's not that many different ways you can deliver a club and produce that launch mm -hmm. and that, that spin rate that they get. Uh, body movement is variable and the, the trends and consistencies that you see in body movement tend to be amongst the bad players. Okay. Now, the good players will all put their jigsaw together and their puzzle together in a way to produce a particular way the club moves. Um, but the poor players will fail to put that jigsaw together at all in yeah. the same ways over and over again. Um, so the, the pattern goes from what the players do really well with the ball to what the ball play, poor players do consist, consistently poorly Sorry, yeah, yeah. Um, with the body. Yeah, it makes total sense. Makes total sense. So you'd say that there's some common things that the, the guys are, the ones who are doing it poorly, are doing consistently. Um, yeah. And the better players basically are getting maybe, maybe look to get into some different positions in the goal swing that might not look, let's say, textbook, but they do an extremely good job of producing a consistent impact from whatever it looks like. Yeah. yeah so the consistent, yeah, exactly. consistency at, at impact with the best guys is very, very similar, and the ball's doing a very similar thing, but you could put them on video and the styles could look totally different. Oh, they're entirely different, but they, number one, they can repeat yeah. what they do, and then, then they get particular things in place consistently. Yeah. So you know, they're not striking it all over the face. Um, like their, their club isn't bottoming out all over the place. Um, yeah, they certainly don't strike it as far as the toe. That's got a new wedge with all those lines across oh, the <laughs> Yeah, and, and look, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I think, and it's true obviously with the full swing as well, that these guys have different motions, but they're just very good at repeating. So I think anyone listening to this, if they're looking, you know, to get anything out of this, is you need to find something that you can consistently repeat. Mm -hmm. And that, that is purely what it comes down to. I always remember Tiger getting, he got his putting stroke measured on a system and it was saying it was 50% technique was, you know, out of 100, but it was a 97% repeating. Yep. So it didn't matter that his technique wasn't perfect, who <laughs> we to argue with that, but he's very good at repeating. Yeah, which I mean, is, there, which there, is the there comes a point at which skill will override technique. Of course. And of we're, course. we're talking about the most elite athletes, for want of a better word, they're not all that athletic, but yeah, the yeah. most elite athletes yeah. on the planet. Golf athletes. And uh, of course, their awareness of where the club is and what they're doing with the club is miles beyond yeah. your average golfer. So if your average golfer technique is certainly a much bigger factor because they don't have the skill all the time to develop the skill that a tournament player does, mm -hmm. um, where technique can be more variable. Yeah. And I think if you, if you, you mentioned awareness there, that's obviously massive, but, but concept as well, I think, mm -hmm. for golfers, you know, whether, whether it's a chip shot or a pitch shot or a bunker shot, you know, you know so what sort of obviously you've got short game secrets that you, you talk about you know what about short game myths you know things that golfers think they should be doing there's a lot out there isn't short there? game myths uh, there's a good one for yeah, you yeah number That's the next <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know i wish we'd never used the word secrets <laughs>
Because <laughs> it's like, if, if I saw an ad for something XX secrets pop up, there's no way I'm going to click on it. <laughs> Who's Condition, gonna, though, you're on the other side. Uh, of the <laughs> Who's going to share a secret to life? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Miss, that, that could be the next series for sure. Um, it's a short game. It, it all comes down to I must hit the ball first. Yeah. And it's just not true. Mm. I mean, we you, you filmed a close-up today, and, and if, if anyone wants to go on YouTube and, and search for a high speed, like a phantom camera of a wedge shot, you will see the ground disturbed before the club hits the ball. Yeah. No doubt about it. So it's almost like an impossible pursuit to try and get the ball in turf mm. and hit a nice chip shot. Yeah. Because if you did manage to do it, the ball's coming out so fast and so low that you'd have no control anyway. Yeah. 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 So that'd be myth number one, and that would be the one that I think drives most people to very poor technique. Yeah. Because of, the, because of that concept, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Concept, absolutely. just right from the word go, the concept yeah. is off and the, the form follows. Yeah. So for the listeners to this, don't get focusing on trying to hit the golf ball, hit at the ground, but you need to also make sure if you're hitting at the ground, you are producing some certain things that, that can allow you to hit the ground and produce a good shot, that's yeah. the important yeah. thing. The, the, the club is designed to work with the ground, yeah. and I think it's, it's not necessarily, and I'm very careful, I try to be careful not to say hit, because it becomes, a, well, that's the end. Yeah. Like It's like striking a nail with a hammer, you don't try and move the hammer beyond the nail, you're trying to work the club with the ground, against yeah. the ground, glide on the ground, whatever you want to say. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't stop there, but it shouldn't dig in, it shouldn't bounce off, but you should get it to interact nicely with it. And that's what you said, I mean, you know, gliding the ground, I think we will often say that we want you to take the grass up, but we don't really want you to expose the mud, effectively, mm -hmm. yeah. so, you know, so you are gliding the top of the grass. And yeah. I think, you know, anyone listening to this now, you know, either hit the pause button, if you need your garden, get in the garden, just have some swings and just hit the ground. Just glide the club across mm -hmm. the ground, but don't take a divot, you know, and just see if you, how, how good you are at doing that. And then if you actually, you could probably put a golf ball within a, a three to four inch, you know, area mm -hmm. around that ground that you are hitting and you can still get the golf ball on the green. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's not, that isn't even a part of the, the club coming in incredibly shallow to do that. Mm -hmm. It actually still comes in on a good arc, but what you're controlling is how far under the ground potentially your club's going to go. Yeah. So the depth of the club, the, the, the depth, depth the club of the, can get to, the club yeah. can get to, yeah. Mm. So, are there any, for the, for the listeners to this who, you know, that are going to go and practice their short game tomorrow, I think it's really important that the things that they should avoid doing, um, what are the things are that you would say they, from a setup and maybe even the technique, that they are a no-no, are a they shouldn't do? Yeah, don't play the ball back in your stance. Don't do it, it's, it's too difficult. Um, make sure the hands aren't too low at address. If you stand there with the ball back and the toe of the club's off the ground, then you are absolutely dead. Because it's part of the, the wedge that loves digging in, it's the heel. Yep. Um, so get, get the shaft tall, stand taller to it, put the ball somewhere in the middle, put the ball at the front. Um, try and hit shots from there. Yeah, at first it might not feel good and you might not have a perfect outcome, but yeah, I'll tell you what, your bad ones will be an awful lot better. Mm. Yeah, and that's what it's about, isn't it? And really, the, the making those bad shots a lot more consistent so that you're still on the green. Yeah, the I mean, how, as to the exactly. How do you prioritise? It's like, well, get it on the green. Exactly. Then how close does it need to be? And I'll, I'll say a five foot radius is great, like yeah. a 10 foot diameter circle around the hole. If you can get, get within that, seven times out of 10, you're going to be making a lot of up and downs. Yeah. It's, it's a very typical setup, isn't it? When you talk about, you know, you know as, you, as we spoke about earlier, the resources that are available. You know, we were, as coaches, you know, 30 years ago, we were told, we were telling people to put the ball back and put the shaft forward and when someone interprets that and then they get those, those tilts in their shoulders and their spine and then they put their swing, their full swing, you know, mechanics into that chip shot, suddenly it's a recipe for disaster, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I see as many shots thinned on the downswing as on the upswing, if not more. 
Yeah, yeah. You almost yeah. look like the top half of the golf ball coming down because yeah. it's just it's that far back and the handle's that far forward. Yeah. Shaft that low. Yeah. yeah. We have a picture in the wall now as we're talking. Picture in the wall now. So yeah, I mean, look, obviously, I mean, that's that's massive when it comes to for, for the technique, but we've seen you talk about this before as well about club selection and do you have a preference on a wedge makeup would be one question and then what about playing chip shots with different clubs or are you more along the lines of just the one club yeah okay so the first first half of the question you're talking about which wedges to carry yeah. uh, i assume I, I see more players lean towards um three wedges including pitching wedge now versus four was quite the trend a mm. while ago uh, a lot of gap wedges, I get a 52, 56, 60 maybe, but I see more people going towards maybe 52, 58 or 54, 60. Mm -hmm. So they can load the top end of the bag a little bit more. Yeah. Because you, you count the number of shots you actually hit with wedges and it's, greenside wedges will be relatively high, but shots from 50, 60 yards is actually, yeah. statistically at least, quite low. So you don't need that many clubs. Um, second part of the question, I'm a fan of one club mm -hmm. for most of the work. Um, I, I think it's a very logical solution to stand there and think, well, if I just make the same motion with different clubs, I'll get different outcomes. Well, yeah, you will. But you'll also have to go to the practice ground and practice with all, all those different yeah. clubs. Yeah. And, you know, no disrespect to the human race, but we're kind of lazy. <laughs> um, and I don't see people switching. You've just upset a lot times. of people there. I, I, I know, <laughs> That's I a know. lot. Well, I'm, I'm at the top of the list, don't worry. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I don't see people doing the work they would need to do to actually make that yeah. work properly. Whereas you'll often see someone go to a practice ground with a single wedge, and I would much rather they chipped around with that and got that to behave differently. Yeah. Um, so there's that side to it, but there's also the skill development side. And learning to deliver a club in different ways can only enhance your basic play as well. Mm. If I can stand there and deliver a club to the ground, de-lofted and not dig in, if, and produce a certain flight, if I can stand there and deliver it lofted, have it skid on the ground, I start to learn what that feels like. Yeah. Um, so the, the middle round, kind of your stock shot, suddenly becomes easy because I've got all this variety around it and finding neutral is, is not difficult. And I think a lot of the, you know, in, in an ideal world, which we're obviously not in an ideal world, you might say, okay, that might be a good thing to do, chip with lots of different clubs, but as you say, it's very difficult for Mr. Smith who works nine to five and he's trying to get better and he's got half an hour a week or an hour a week practice his game, he's not really going to have the time to go out there and use all these different clubs and understand yep. how they launch, how they, they land, spin and roll out. And if he uses that one club, he's got a much better chance of predicting exactly how high the ball comes off and almost instinctively get used to actually what happens. Yeah, I think it becomes much more predictable, especially when you, you think about modern irons and how they're designed. You, yeah. know, you go and chip there with an eight iron and it comes off like an absolute <laughs> It's just gone. So you have to develop this extra touch. You know, I've got this club that wants to go a million miles an hour, I've got to hit it really soft. Yeah. Then you go to a wedge in your bag that may not match your iron set, and it's actually a wedge designed to be used as a wedge, and suddenly it comes off a hell of a lot slower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's difficult to make that jump from 9-9 to a 54 when they're completely different in the way they behave. And, and interesting, just on obviously talking about how fast the ball comes off the face and things like that, and because and, I heard you speak about this before at uh, Formby last year actually, but also, uh, I'll actually reverse that a little bit, what loft would you like to see when you, if you were to recommend a loft? And then, obviously, maybe explain a little bit about sort of smash factor and the ball coming off the face, and it's quite relative to a throw. And yeah, yeah. Um, so, what loft I recommend people chip with? Yeah. Typically, um, 
It could be anywhere from 54 to 60. It, okay. it does depend on the individual, but I wouldn't typically go lower than 54. Yeah. Um, majority of players I work with end up using their most lofted wedge to hit the majority of their chip shots with. It does not mean for a second every shot is a flop shot. Yeah, yeah. Everyone's going, well, James said I can do this shot now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, the flag <laughs> yes, you can hit it high with that club, but you can also hit kind of a nice little mid, mid-flighted or mid-trajectory shot with that club as well. Um, I can hit my 60 and it goes no more than 12 inches off the ground and, and releases out. Mm. Um, everyone has their range of, of trajectories, but I, I think you start to go into smash factor. Yeah. And the ball speed is obviously the lowest from your most lofted club. So the energy transfer is reduced um, as the loft glows up and it comes more into line as you touched on with throwing, mm -hmm. which is something we developed the ability to do from one-year-old in your high chair throwing food out, right? It's stuff you don't like. We spend our whole lives learning how to throw an object from A to B um, in whatever scenario it may have been. And then we go for a chipping lesson, we get a seven iron in our hands. You know, so a seven iron within your chipping is gonna have a smash of probably 1.35, 1.4. Which is extremely high. So every mile per hour you put in, you're getting 1.4 back. Versus a lob wedge, you put a mile per hour in, you get a mile per hour back. So it comes more into line with that throwing, that intrinsic feel that you have developed since uh, since you were a child. So basically, what we're saying is, when you're throwing a ball, it's coming off off the, it's coming out the hand similar to like a sand wedge would. Yeah. Whereas almost if you were throwing a ball and it's like an eight iron analogy, especially with these. Um, super fast faces, so you've got a spring in your hand, springing yeah. the ball out as you throw it. Like it's like a ball coming off a tennis racket. Maybe, or yeah. If you walk a dog, you know those things, I don't walk a dog, but you know those plastic things <laughs> oh, that yeah, people sling yeah. balls with. It's kind of like throwing a ball with that, there's extra speed on the ball that you're not used to. Yeah, absolutely. So you're currently working with a few tour players. Mm -hmm. um, would you, do you coach the same principles with your tour players uh, than you do with, let's say, a 15 handicap for a golf club? Um, I, yeah, conceptually, yes. Okay. Um, uh, ultimately, I'm still wanting the club to work with the ground in the same way. I'm trying to give them the biggest margin for error I possibly can because, believe it or not, they screw up too. <laughs> uh, they hit poor shots, they go through bad phases of form. Um, and do I see it? If I can build in the biggest margin for error, then they also will benefit from that. They may have more flair, they may have more range in their shots, but at its, at its core, essentially, it's the same stuff. Mm. No, nobody expects the tour players to be going They don't, they always hit good shots, yeah, they always hit good exactly. shots. Okay, so look, what is the, the, I don't know about yourself, James, but the, probably the biggest question, if you ever put a, a comment out there on social, on the website and saying, you know, what do you want to know, what do you want to know about on short game? You know, 50 yards and in, that's the theme for this month. What do you want to know about? Backspin, 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 backspin will be the first 10 <laughs> yeah. comments. So it looks fantastic when you can see these shots and, you know, Tiger, I think I saw you do a video replicating a tiger shot where yeah. he spun it back off a, like a 20 yard or something yeah. like that. So, uh, how do you do it? <laughs> <laughs> Cheat. Um, <laughs> is it, honestly, the, it's such a perfect storm mm -hmm. to create spin um, that if you went through the list of things you have to do, it's like, do you play with a ball that's good enough? Um, Premium ball. Are, yeah. are your wedges new? Okay. You know, I'm talking like, are they a few weeks old? Because I guarantee that a, a player on tour, typically their wedges will be immaculate. Are they clean? Are the grooves clean? Is there, is there any kind of, little, you can just, just giving it a wipe with your hand isn't no. enough. There's still like a film of dirt on there. Um, so the equipment in your hand is, is hugely important. Um, do certain brands of wedges spin more than others? Not really. Mm. They're, they're all pretty similar. Um, so you've got the ball, you've got the wedge. How's your lie? Mm -hmm. 
because the majority of courses that your average player plays on, they're not going to be as tight of fairways as a tour, yeah. a tour player. They almost always play, especially in the US, they always play where it's sunny mm-hmm. and it's hot and everything's nice and dry. But we play over here and we were out fairly early this morning and there's moisture on the ground. Yeah. It just doesn't spin as much. Yeah. Uh, so th- there's kind of a perfect storm before you've even taken the club back. Yeah, of course. Ball, wedge, environment. I mean, they almost, on tour, they almost can't help but hit a low spinner. Yeah. It's actually hitting it with some height and softness that's more difficult off a mm-hmm. tight line. Of course. But let's say, just for a second, let's imagine that you've got everything in place there. And then you need to be able to hit the ball hard. Right? You don't see someone spin the ball that looks like they've hit it softly. Mm. So you do need loft in your hands. Um, you need technique where the ball's not going to come off too fast. So you know, if you stand there and draw it, or kind of hook your wedges in, you're going to struggle to spin it as much as somebody has a neutral, neutral flight or even a slight cut. Um, does attack angle matter? Yes. Can you be too shallow? Yes, you can get too shallow and more grass gets trapped in between club and wall. Um, there's an optimum there. Um, can you have too much loft? Yeah, it can slip up the face. Can you have too little loft? Yeah, so, you, so you've got this big shopping list. You've got ball, club, grass hitting off. Um, how's my path? How's my face? How's my loft? Where am I striking on the face? Um, the cleaner you can strike it, the more spin you're going to get. So if, if you wanted just to learn for a second how much you could potentially spin it, Go, go by the chipping green and tee your ball half an inch off the ground. So there's no chance any grass can get trapped between club and ball. Stand there and chip one. Because that will be the maximum spin you can possibly get. Okay. And then as soon as you put the ball on the ground, except you're not going to get the same kind of spin, but you need to try and pick it pretty yeah. clean to really spin it. And now, now that list is there. <laughs> the last thing I'm saying is try and pick it really clean. If you go out and try that when you're playing, you've got a card in your hand, you yeah. are absolutely crazy. The good thing is no one is ever going to ask us that question ever again now because <laughs> they don't want to do it. There is so much to it. It's, it's unbelievable. It, you know, if, if you get the chance, if you're in the UK and you can go play a Lynx course, you will stand and you'll see the ball spin mm. if the greens are watered. Mm. Um, it's the environment where the ball spins the most. The problem is the greens are a bit firmer. Yeah. yeah. You yeah, get yeah. nice dry fairways that are short, nice soft greens, and you'll see spin. Yeah. Otherwise, Into the breeze a little bit, which is yeah. often... It always all helps. Playing to a green slightly below you, that helps because mm. the ball comes in a little bit steeper. Deeper, so yeah. you get more out of, out of the actual spin. Um, uh, apart from that, just play for a bounce and a bit of release. That's all I would yeah, say. Definitely. And the thing is, I think with the, with the guys that at home will listen to, there's a lot of the guys who think, I want to get some backspin. It's not always the best thing to do anyway. Yeah. And um, I always think about my dad, <laughs> Pierce, who, um, <laughs> who watches the golf sometimes. And you say, You need to meet him. <laughs> how, do they, how do they put backspin on? I want to put some backspin on. I said, Well, dad, look, they're not really necessarily trying to put backspin on that. It's just the conditions that they're producing is allowing them to do. They've got the perfect ball good strike, you know, bare lies. So it's just the nature of the, the conditions that they're in are allowing them to produce it. It's not, it's not like they switch a button and go, I'm going to put some backspin on this one. Um, but I know as long as we're golf coaches, people are going to ask that they're question. Ask they're going to be trying anyway, whether we like it or yeah, not, and whether yeah. we tell them it should, it's maybe yeah, not a good cool, idea. Of course, yeah. there's, there's a, a ton of things you can do to make the ball spin more, but the more you do to make it spin, the more risky exactly, it, it, yeah. the outcome actually becomes. Yeah. So your strike will start to suffer, and then potentially you've bought a miscreen into it, and that's just not worth it. Yeah. So don't try it. Don't try, don't try and spin it. So when it comes to judging um, speed or distance, distance control, yeah. what would you say is a good way to, um, to work on that, work on your speed control or judging distance? Um, we're talking from close to the green or we're talking <laughs> slightly longer wedges here? Um, I would say, let's say, let's say, let's say 50 yards. Okay. Um, 
Right, first of all, you need to practice. <laughs> yep, that's the first that's one. Like, my distance control is terrible. Now, can you practice? Well, I don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, there we go. Got to practice. Um, you need some kind of feedback on your practice. And that sounds easy to say, but if you go and practice at a range where there isn't a target closer than 100 yards to the, the mat you hit from, then you can't get any kind of. So saw you, I think it was a Floridian where you did the short game secrets, yeah. wasn't it? Where you got yeah. the, the concrete slabs, well, those are like they? Concrete slabs in the ground, yeah. What a good idea that Coming is. To aim at. Yeah, that is perfect. You, you need to know where it's coming down. Yeah. Um, whether that means you need to get access to a launch monitor of some sort, or you go to a range where there is targeting, or you sneak out on the range and put your own, or put their towels buckets or, or towels yeah, or yeah. something yeah. down there. Um, you need that feedback. And then once you've got that, the next thing is to not get stuck on a single yard. If you stand there and hit balls at a 50 yard towel, let's say, for 10 minutes, then you get really good at 50 yards. Mm -hmm. um, but do you get good at 55 and 45? Well, no, of course you don't, because you don't understand what comes behind it and, and into it. So one of my favorite drills, and asked me for a long time, is a Goldilocks drill, uh, where you will pick a target and a number and you will deliberately try and hit it a few yards too far and then a few yards too short and then get it just right, because then you start to learn variations on that yardage, right? So you work on 50, but you also get 55 and 45, mm -hmm. you get 48 and 52. And so you're always working surrounding a target uh, versus getting stuck in one. So variability in practice is more important than repetition. And again, maybe looking at that one club as well, you know, saying let's get that one club and let's just yeah, get, get with really good club. with that. Um, the, the typical pattern for players is with, let's say, the most lofted wedge, they use up to 50, 60 yards. Once they try and hit it beyond that, the flight will tend to balloon mm -hmm. and their launch will start to go up a little bit too much. And once they start to see it, then they should drop down to their next okay. wedge. There you go. Because um, then they'll hit the same window and they'll open up another 20, 25 yards of carry without okay. having to make an extra effort. In Yep, so there, so there, I mean, the random practice is really important to, yeah. to randomise those distances, but also having the feedback of actually what are those distances. So, yeah. you know, whether you'd like to say you're like at the concrete slab or just knowing how far they're landing and carrying, but mixing it up to, to do that. And I think the good thing about that is obviously from what the research says that that is so much more transferable to the golf course mm -hmm. if you are practising in that way. Yeah, block practice is great for like self-esteem and ego because you're inevitably going to get better at it, but then obviously it doesn't transfer onto the course unless yeah. you get that exact number. Yeah, unless you're that good with your, your drives. <laughs> <laughs> I can hit 350 and leave 50 every time. I, I, so I'm asked the same question with, with actually the chipping as well because I know a lot of people that, that I've seen for X amount of years of coaching will not many people will be able to get good feedback from that shot. So for instance, you know, they'll thin it a little bit and they'll say, oh, I hit that too hard. And I'll stop them straight away and say, well, can you tell me how you hit that too hard? And then the conversation, obviously, I want to go on the lines of, well, no, you didn't, you mishit that one. Yeah. And I think that's a, I, I mean, do you see that with the really good players as well? That they sometimes, they can't control the distance because the strike is off and then are they aware um, of that? I would say uh, yes and yes. yes. The, uh, <laughs> you, you, the biggest distance control issues certainly do come from missed strikes mm -hmm. rather than touch feel. Mm -hmm. um, are they aware of it? Yeah, absolutely, they, they, yeah. they know. But by, by the same token, it depends how big the error is. So if you get a good player and you've got a, a pitch they need to carry 15 yards ideally and it's gonna go out to 18, 19, whatever it is, um, if they hit it a little bit thin, it will tend to fly a bit further and spin a bit more. Mm -hmm. So it'll pull up just behind the cup. Mm -hmm. And if they hit it a little bit too hard in the face and get a bit too much interference, it will pop up, land shorter, but it will release because it has less spin on it. Right? Yeah. So we're talking about margins. So the thing is, their errors are generally very small, so they're still tapping in. Yeah. 
versus the errors getting bigger with your average golfer and they're not tapping in anymore. Mm. Yeah, okay, yeah, so I think awareness, awesome. awareness yeah. is, is absolutely. Okay, right, we ask this question of everybody. The ultimate golfer, so driving, long irons, approach irons, wedge, obviously, wedge game, you know, yeah. chipping, putting, bunkers, however many you want to put in there, mental, strategy, who, who would make up the dream golfer for you? What, which different golfers? Oh. Um, that, is, that is such a difficult question. Obviously, you gave me a small heads up on yeah. it, but the reason I think it's difficult is because we have golfers from different eras. Yes. And what would happen if you stuck a driver now in Jack Nicklaus's hands mm -hmm. at his peak? Mm. He was driving it through the green on 18 at St. Andrews with persimmon. Yeah. Yes, it was downwind, but he still knocks history. That's a yeah, long yeah. way. Um, so if I'm going to look at it from the side of things, let's look at them as they were in and their in era. In their time, I think so. Absolutely. Um, you'd have to pick somebody driving the ball from the, the modern day uh, because players are just flying it so far and so straight um, that it couldn't, it couldn't be anyone else. I mean, obviously, I never saw Hogan hit a driver, mm -hmm. right? but I, I was at Carnoustie in, in July. And to stand there on six, where you've got out of bounds down the left and bunkers on the right, and the, the, the story is that he hit a small fade off out of bounds, off the out of bounds line every day and finished in almost the same spot four days in a row. If that's true. Pretty, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they named the hole after it, it must be. They, they did, but you know, you know, it's, you know, they'd even say you hit from the same divot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some yeah. people, right, every day. <laughs> so sure the conditions are identical every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, you look at something and you think, well, man, he must have been a really good driver, but I just, I've not witnessed it, so it's hard to do. Yeah, of course. So I would have to say, from an aesthetics point of view and a driving point of view I couldn't pick anyone but Rory yeah okay, because think. he just flat out hits it so far for a guy of his size mm. and the flight is high and it's a draw and it's just magnificent to watch I mean, yeah DJ's an amazing driver of the golf and I've watched that from right behind him as well and that's incredible to watch but it's just not quite as we, sexy. We, we did a video with Rory end of last year and he hit nine or ten shots every single one hit the fairway and he just come off of, off the the rib injury as well, so yeah. he was still a little bit slower on his speed. But it was just like, okay, yeah, it's yeah, dead it's, easy for him, wasn't it? It was definitely a different experience watching Rory hit drive because the, the majority of other guys, their their flight's very similar. But you you, you watch Rory if it's four or five degrees up, the ball is is ridiculously high, and you go, well, this, I haven't really seen this ball flight before. Whereas mm -hmm. the rest of the guys, yeah, maybe DJ who hits it, who bombs it, but his flight is maybe a little lower anyway. Um, watching Rory is just and it's, it's the fact that it, it draws and it stays in the air forever. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> like if you've watched a lot of guys try and draw, it just it kind of dies out the Falls sky out. a little bit. But it stays up there for so long. I mean, anyone can stand there on 17 at Wentworth and like bomb a draw down that fairway because mm. it out of bounds left, fairway slopes left to right. Everyone bails out right to sling it down there, like 350, and it's just different world. Anyone whose ball speed is over 170 with a three, which is just on yeah. my list, yeah, yeah. joke. It's, it's crazy. So oh, I see driver. driver. Yep. So yeah, I mean uh, irons. Um, long irons. You can break it up. You can break it up. Yeah, you can go long irons if you like. Um, the more the merrier. Yeah, the, I, it's a tough call between Tiger and Jack because I, I think there's enough footage of Tiger hitting ridiculous long irons, the pins <laughs> like flying it 260 with a two iron mm. and having it stop near the pin to say no, he's pretty good and then you watch the way even recently with his comeback how well he shaped balls into holes mm. 
um, last week at the, at the PGA. I mean, that shot trace is just like the best thing in the world, isn't yeah, it? You can see what they're really phenomenal. doing. Yeah, every shot they should have it. <laughs> but then you, you look back at Jack and he's in the high soft fades with long irons back then as well. So I'd, I'll, I'll go with Nicholas because the equipment was harder to do it with. There we go. That's a good one. Um, it's short first, We'll go one more, one more with the irons, just for yeah. pure, this is fun to watch from the range. Sergio is a joke with his, yeah. with his irons, just the sound and the, the trajectory it takes off at is just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure he could hit 250 carry with a one iron. No, 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 no <laughs> not, quite, not quite. Um, short irons. We're we in wedges. Yeah, it's, yeah. 100, um, 100, 130, 140 to 100. Oh. Building a good golfer here. He could be very good, couldn't he? Tiger's going to be there as well. Yeah. Um, doesn't think there's a, obviously there's a story of Tiger how he would practice hitting all of his clubs like 100 yards. Carry to stand with a seven iron and pitch it 100, six iron and pitch, not carry 100 um, to enhance his field. So we're talking mm -hmm. about like variable practice and, and yeah. skill development. Um, man, if there, I'm trying to think of that one. If there's a guy that, if there's somebody had to get up and down from 100 to 130 yards, it probably would be Tiger. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't <laughs> yeah. you know, go anywhere else. No, who would push him off the list? No one. No. Okay. Okay. So, someone pitching then. Let's say you've got a 50 yarder. 50 yards, uh, had to up and down it for, for my life, uh, Zach Johnson, yeah. probably. From the fairway. From the fairway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from the from the rough, from the fairway. From the, we're assuming they're in the fairway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, from the rough. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Sergio. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. yeah. Okay. And what, what about, okay, let's go, let's go bunkers, bunker player. Um, Brett Rumford. Yeah. Seve. You're allowed to pick one. Yeah, good, <laughs> yeah, good match, wouldn't it? Rumford. Seve Rumford, <laughs> there we go, I like it, I like it. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're two players that just, obviously Seve's not around anymore, but just do things from bunkers that other people aren't really seeing. Really? Um, which it doesn't, doesn't cease to amaze me. Um, if I had to pick one of the two, there's Seve. Yeah. yeah. I think so. I think so. And I'll take him around the greens as well. Yeah, for chipping as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? Putting? Um, Difficult one, isn't oh it? Because you've got yeah. some guys who've been on tour probably because of this, <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. yeah they've just been so good at this. Uh, Brad Fanks. Yeah. It's mm, pretty good. Because I know Brad. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I think he'd be the first to admit that the strongest part of his game was his putting. His putting and yeah. I think he would feel confident of holding any putt that you stuck in front of him. Mm. Yeah. That's a decent golfer. Very good golfer. I like that golfer. I like that golfer. Okay, great. Um, so you. before we finish, uh, what's next for you and how can people find out a little bit more about you and uh, yeah, get in touch with you maybe? Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to obviously carry on what I'm, I'm doing, working with a handful of good players, which I'm very fortunate to do. Um, research is kind of on hold at the minute, so I'm too busy doing, doing other things. Uh, plan is I will try and shoot some more videos for shortgamesecrets.tv um, in the autumn, which will be the, the, <laughs> which will be the um, final videos I do, I think. Okay. Um, so I don't give everything away. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Shortgamesecrets.tv. So I know you've got a series on there at the moment that, that, you, that people can yes. buy. Yes, yeah, there's a number of videos on there covering wedges and um, uh, putting with my good friend John Graham. 
Um, so there'll be, I think there'll be one more edition to that then. But so make sure you check that out. So what about social? Any any uh, handles? Uh, James Ridyard on Twitter and Instagram. Okay. Um, I try not to use Twitter too much because I get into silly arguments. Oh, so <laughs> I shouldn't That's do. What it's for. And <laughs> nobody ever comes out looking smart, no. even if you're right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah winning, right winning is not a winning on there, is it? Uh, interesting. Just talking social here, we've just done a ridiculous plugged lie bunker shot, which I'm actually going to put up the same day this podcast goes up. So go and check our Instagram on that. It took me three um, years to figure that shot out. You know. yeah, but only took you one shot to deliver. It, so <laughs> <laughs> it was the first time he hit the shot, and it was pretty decent out of a pretty bad lie. So make sure you check that out on Instagram. We'll put that out. Okay. So look, um, every uh, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Um, you know, we, we've learned, we've we've seen you talk, you know, just the once before, I think it is now, and and we, but we've we've learned a lot from you in this in the in the, the couple of spells, including today, of just sort of spending time with you. So, you know, from our point of view, we definitely want to do this again in the future. Um, and good luck with everything you're doing. I think it's really important that there is somebody doing what you're doing, and please get back on the research again soon. I know that these pesky tour players need your time. <laughs> so demanding. But it was so demanding. <laughs> But you know, make sure you do get back into that because I think you've already uncovered quite a few things already which are gonna help golfers. So thank you so much for your time. But in true tradition of a podcast, we need a quote. Oh man, I almost forgot about that. Uh, I, thought quote. I, I thought I was out. <laughs> um, right, so I'll, I'll give you two. I'll give you one from someone who actually matters. Okay. <laughs> um, Steve Jobs, uh, yep. creativity is just connecting the dots. And that's all, all that I see myself as doing as, a, as an instructor is connecting dots and making sure things function and work. Um, and then the one from me is just two words and it's do less. Do less. I like that. And I think that's a, I mean, Have a good thing on that. To elaborate a little bit more on that just quickly, I think it's great what James is doing with his research and all the data and the, the work he's doing, that you're doing a fantastic job of keeping it simple. You know, yeah. that's the important thing. That's our job as golf coaches to take all this on board and make it as simple for the guy who's coming to see us or going to view us online or whatever it is just to make it easy and practical for them to go out and play some better golf so yeah, uh, that's really what it means is you, you, i'm constantly trying to take things away to make a player better rather than just overwhelm with information exactly thank you Fantastic. thanks for your time you're welcome thank you thank you very much for the videos the podcast out and uh, look forward to speaking to you soon thank you another great guest there on the podcast with james so big thank you to james for his time i know he's a busy guy uh, but hopefully you got some great things from that uh, to help you with your game, and especially the short game. And I think the key thing to take from that really is that with all the technology and the things that are available nowadays, it really is about keeping it simple. It's so easy to get confused and, uh, and go too much into detail, but as you can see there, the key thing is keeping things simple. You're going to have more fun on the golf course and play some better golf. Now, if you did enjoy that, then do us a favor. Take a screenshot on your phone and tag us in on your stories, and we will do our very best to get back to you and reply to anyone who does that so thanks a lot thank you so much for listening to the me and my golf podcast we hope you enjoyed that and got some value from that and if you did then please share that episode with a friend and if you can do us a real big favor and head over to itunes and leave us a review it really does help this podcast grow and reach more golfers and our mission is to help as many golfers around the world as we can play some better golf so it really would mean a lot to us one question that we get asked a lot is, Andy Pierce, how can we get coaching from you? Well, now you can have myself and Pierce as your very own personal online golf coach. And we've created a, a platform that infuses our coaching experience and philosophy into a fantastic community that's packed full of 
weekly videos that will really help transform your golf. We've got coaching plans on specific areas in the game. We have a shot fixer section, which really enables you to fix your faults fast so you can see results immediately on the golf course. And we really want to build a, a tribe of golfers that are committed to playing the best golf of their lives. And like I say now, this is the closest thing that you're going to experience to get me and Pierce on the lesson tee with you. And we'd love to have you part of this fantastic community. So head over to meandmygolf.com and look, have a go. We have a 14-day free trial that you can take advantage of, see what it's like. And if it fits right for you, then fantastic. And we'll hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time on the Me and My Golf podcast.